Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Two live shows in one day? Yeah. Yeah. And if you're wondering, I have been sitting here like I was in an airport since noon when we did the Hoop Show. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. This is not the Hoop Show. This is the BWI Daily Edition. We got a hodgepodge of things to get to today uh, because uh, everything is starting back up all at once. This, this is how things work. It's not like you're going to just have the NFL draft happen this week or John Scott Jr. He's off to the NFL. Penn State needs a new defensive line coach. We'll discuss those things uh, plus more. Penn State got a commitment earlier today. So we're going to play What Does Fitz Think uh, early in the show. Sean Fitz is joining us in just a little bit. We'll be talking about Kari Jackson and John Scott Jr. Digging into that a little bit more uh, with John Scott Jr. And what does the future of that position hold? What does uh, Fitz think of the linebacker situation? And today we're also going to be getting to uh, players that have superstar potential for 2023. These are players that I think could make the leap from good or promising and have the physical tools to be superstars. All of that stuff. There's so much stuff. Buckle up. Plus, we're talking to you in the comments section today on the BWI Daily Edition. Right off the bat, we got some uh, we got some people that are dedicated here. Family vacation in Disney, and Ben is joining the show. Ben, I appreciate you. Um but isn't there like a magical kingdom out there for you? I, I, I love it. We'll, we'll make it worth your while. We'll definitely make that happen today on the BWI Daily Edition. Uh, if you've got thoughts and comments, throw them in the chat. We'll be accepting your super chats as well. As always, if you want to donate to the channel, throw a couple bucks in the tip jar here at the end of February. Uh, appreciate that as well. We got a laundry list of things, which I just touched on uh, coming up today on the show. We're actually going to get to uh, the back half of the show to start right away. And uh, Fitz is going to be joining us in just a little bit. But the NFL Combine is coming up tomorrow. So I wanted to highlight a couple of players that I think have the opportunity to impress at the Combine and to make themselves some money coming up uh, starting tomorrow in Indianapolis. Also coming up tomorrow, we will have Max Chadwick of PFF joining the show to give us his breakdown of Penn State at the Combine. And uh, it turns out Penn State overall, the, the new lead college analyst for PFF, uh, as much as you may not like PFF, uh, he's a Penn State fan. 
So we had an awesome conversation. I can't wait to bring you that conversation. He knows a lot about Penn State football. He's he's on your level of caring about it. So uh, we have a great conversation coming up for you tomorrow. But uh, some of the things that we covered that I want to get to today, Brenton Strange. I, I think Brenton Strange has the opportunity tomorrow or I should say whenever he competes. I haven't looked at the schedule specifically to know when tight ends go at the Combine, but to put up a really impressive performance at the Combine. Here's what we know about Brenton Strange. He is a former wide receiver, turned tight end, the the classic Penn State tight end, really athletic move player that played a lot of different positions for the Nittany Lions. Tight ends tend to go undervalued and underseen for the most part in college football. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to turn into, uh, you know, George Kittle or or Travis Kelsey, but I think there is a role for a very athletic, positionless player in the NFL, a guy that can block a little bit, that can run block from the backfield, that can split out in the slot. A lot of teams, we, we see Kyle Shanahan's offense kind of proliferate through the NFL right now. Lots of teams are looking for a guy that can do the dirty work and still be a valuable pass catcher, even if he isn't the most explosive dynamic player on the field. Brent Strange could put up some really well-rounded numbers tomorrow at the Combine, do very well in the positional drills on the field, and I don't think it makes him a top 64 pick, but if he runs in the four fives at 247 pounds, 250 pounds, that's really good. Uh, another guy that I think it can be a... a riser from this is Tig Brown. Again, I think Penn State fans know what Tig Brown is. Doesn't have an elite frame, but he's a really, really good football player. And a guy that I think if he runs really well, he can overcome some of his measurables. Maybe he's not the tallest guy in the world that's in the biggest frame, but he plays football really well. And I think that he can be a guy that if he runs and proves he has some dynamic qualities to his game, that's a guy that can make some money this week at the Combine. Now, I don't think these guys need to impress, but it is important. That's the next category here. Important for Joey Porter Jr. to run a good 40 time if he runs. If he runs in the 4-4s, four he's a first-round pick. That's I, I feel confident that's a lock. If uh, PJ Mustafer has a good medical check, I think he's a draftable player. So that's kind of my early uh, preview of the conversation with Max coming up tomorrow and my preview of the Combine. Uh, so check that out tomorrow, Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. We're being joined now by Sean Fitz. He is publisher of Blue White Illustrated to give us his thoughts on a bunch of stuff here, Fitz. Um, yesterday uh, and today, not the end to February that we had as the start to February where things slowed down. <laughs> no, not at all. You're never really looking to go into spring ball, at least a week out from spring ball, looking to make a coaching change. And Penn State has done that. Obviously, John Scott off to the NFL. Hats off to John. I thought he did a very good job while he was at Penn State. And now it's uh, it's time to find a replacement. It'll be uh, very interesting to see which direction uh, James Franklin goes. We've talked on the podcast several times about how important retaining Dion Barnes is. Uh, I don't know if we have to rehash this conversation so quickly. If he, of course, is on as a defensive analyst right now, um, but I think he's squarely in position um, to be one of those guys that uh, that could be in the mix for the job. So um, a week out from signing day is obviously not ideal, or excuse me, not signing day. a week out from spring practice, uh, yeah. not ideal. Um, but this is kind of the uh, the way that we've seen things go in the coaching world. I and mean, we talked about Florida last week. They lost three assistants to the NFL. You're going to see that the schedule is different. The schedule is recruiting as a college football coach uh, going on the road in December, January, uh, April and May, um, and then getting back for camps in June and July at the end of July. You know, it's just it, it really doesn't stop. There's vacations yeah. in there. There's dead periods and things like that. But it doesn't stop because once you stop that other coach um, for, for the other school is making that time up in recruiting. So. You see a lot of guys jumping to the NFL right now. Can't blame them one bit. There's a there's the workload is 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 uh, the job security is different, but the workload is is lighter there. And uh, can you believe it's that? not just it's not just about playing golf. You know, that's yeah. uh, it's about uh, it's about having a work life family balance, and that's something you don't get as a college football coach anymore. Can, can you believe that though? Like we're we're comparing one of the hardest coaching jobs in America, being a an NFL coach, to uh, a college coach, and it's like, oh yeah, there's more work life balance in the NFL, which should show you how crazy it is in college football now. Um, from from this perspective, 
you mentioned late in the cycle and this kind of just happens now does this put penn state at a disadvantage then to go make a quality higher should penn state fans be worried about maybe a situation where we saw previously where something in february where they've made coaching changes or coaching changes have been made to their staff and they have to adjust to that is this late in the process can they still find a quality candidate to add uh to the defensive staff roster yeah, I think in terms of the pecking order for where Penn State is in the national uh, scene of college football, it's still pretty open, you know, because you can you can afford to go in and, and swoop some swoop in and get somebody. Um, of course, you know, timing is timing. Like the most coaches are available right after the bowl season and and, and things of that nature. So um, you're going to get a mix of candidates that are without a job right now. Uh, James Franklin has actually done that. He's hired guys that have been out of work, um, not because they're bad coaches, but just because that's the nature of the business. Um, you're going to get young up and coming guys, and then you're going to get, uh, you know, guys that, that have had these past connections to uh, James Franklin, Manny Diaz and things like that. So I don't think, I don't think your pool is that much smaller. Maybe naturally it is a little bit just because guys are settled, don't want to move um, in March or February. Um, but uh, being as it is where Penn State is in that pecking order, I think they're still going to have a, a very good uh, option of uh, just a pool of applicants, pool of guys that, that Franklin will take seriously for this job. The, the nature of college football is change. Um, that is pretty obvious. You did mention, you know, a week out from the start of spring practice like is there going to be um kind of like you got to hit your hit the ground running here what sort of disadvantage to the team specifically and then we can kind of look beyond to recruiting which i think is another key part of this conversation obviously um but let's start with the team that's wrapping up max testing days later this week uh, and then they're into spring ball it, do you have any concerns about that sort of like it affecting spring practice in any way not really. And that sounds kind of stupid because it's, you know, a position coach leaving the week before spring drills is not ideal, but you've had Dion Barnes there for the last three years and he knows how things are running. Um, you know, at, at the very least, plug him in as the interim and, and just keep going. And those guys in the room respect the hell out of Dion Barnes. I mean, they're, this is the guy that I think if you ask anybody in that room who they should hire, Dion's going to get that uh, get that stamp of approval. Um, you know, obviously it doesn't work that easily, but uh, this is a guy that's been through it and you're not dropping off a lot. I'm a big John Scott fan in, in terms of him being a teacher, in terms of him uh, getting the most out of some a lot of his guys. Um, but I don't think it changes all that much with Dion Barnes. Dion doesn't have the experience. He doesn't have, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the 20 years in the business like John Scott does or whatever uh, John had. But like that, I think you could get by on that. And these days in college football, you're getting, you know, guys that are 26, 27 in position coaching jobs and then eventually being coordinators by the time they're 30. So you've got, you know, this accelerated track and Dion, they made it a point to go out and, and keep him on board. He was done after his three years of being a GA. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's an option. He's a viable option because he's so he's made himself so valuable. And that's uh, really, I don't think that changes with spring practice. I don't think a bunch changes and, and Penn state's lucky to be in that situation where they have a guy that's been in the room that knows all the guys in the room. And even if they did bring in an outside guy, Dion would be a, a big part of what they were trying to do um, in terms of drills, in terms of like feeling out what they need for scrimmages and things and, and rotations and things like that. So he's, I think he's just such a massive figure in that room that it doesn't really change all that much. Uh, Michael here with a donation to the channel. Always appreciate Michael being here. He says, hashtag keep the beard. Don't, uh, there's, there's plenty of beer to go around on the show today. Brian uh, Rinchiari says, thanks as always for the content. Uh, this gets into the question about Dion Barnes, outside coach. One of the things Ryan uh, Snyder, our coworker, has talked about on the recruiting show and with me on the daily is lots of times these defensive tackles are coming from the South. And Brian points out Georgia, Florida, Texas. Uh, John Scott Jr. had ties to the South as well when he came in here. We didn't necessarily see that uh, come to, you know, a, sort of a benefit. That that seed was never really sprouted anywhere when it came to the defensive tackle position. Do you think that is a consideration when it comes to this coaching search? Do you think it should be a consideration given uh, Penn State's need to elevate that particular part of the conversation when we talk about the elite conversation of, of getting those talents at, at rare breed positions? 
That's a very good question because the way that it's worded is, would you rather have a guy in those, you know, Georgia, Texas, Florida, whatever, or have a guy in your main area? And I think it's, it's important to have number one, both, but a guy in your main area, because you have to take the best of what you have available in the region. Those guys from, or the, the top guys from Texas, Florida, Georgia, um, they're not coming North. Like that's uh there will be, you know, exceptions to that. Of course, Penn State got Zane Durant uh, a couple of cycles ago. They're very high on him. But like those, you know, six foot four, 310 pounders that can play like, you know, the, we throw the dancing bear joke out there. You know, those guys aren't coming north. So establish what you have. Um, go to your regional uh, regional base and go from there. Pennsylvania has got some uh, some pretty good prospects in this cycle. Uh, the Northeast, uh, you look at the Smith twins, uh, up at Cheshire Academy in Connecticut, uh, Jordan Thomas in New Jersey. So there are guys on the defensive line that you can build around in this, uh, in this class. And you're looking to probably take seven or eight defensive linemen in this class. Um, it's just a matter of, of, of finding those right guys. And I think you can build from the inside out. So if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to give me one or the other, give me the guy in the region pretty much every day, because it's so hard to get those guys to come, uh, up north and on the flip side it's hard to keep those guys from up north those great top level guys uh, yeah. from going down south and i'm to answer the uh the sean spencer question that was i think january 30th is when he left um from the for the uh question in the chat it was kind of the same but also kind of different you know you had a chance to to uh adjust to winter workouts and things like that so um it's it, it's a bit different um then you had COVID come in, uh, unfortunately, and, you know, kind of John Scott and, and Taylor Stubblefield, yeah. both behind the eight ball, uh, Phil Troutwine as well in terms of recruiting. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was always fun. Um, but, uh, Spencer's and, and Scott's situation is just a little bit different. Just, just, just a little bit. And, uh, the next opportunity for the next person coming in will probably be just a little bit better than it was when John Scott came in. Um, you, you mentioned a fan of John Scott. I am as well in terms of the, the tangible development you've seen from players. Um, and, and I want to know how you fold in when you're looking at his, his work at Penn state, maybe the recruiting in certain areas, we just touched on defensive tackle. And I think you, you, and you encompass that perfectly that. Uh, a charismatic recruiter isn't necessarily the thing that's going to get you over the top to get a guy up north as a defensive tackle. Uh, but how do you then how do you then fold in his recruiting of the portal and Penn State's approach to recruiting from the portal where they got a lot of really good defensive linemen uh, to supplement that? Do, how, how do you view all of that in context with his time at Penn State? So when you take a look at his portal recruiting, it's it's more resume based than anything. It's getting this guy, getting the most out of him in his one year or so and and putting him off to the NFL. Did a great job with that. Absolutely. Selling it to a high school prospect, a little bit different um, because you've got to go in there and, and sell the next three or four years more so than the NFL. Um, it's it's the fit. It's all this kind of stuff. John Scott, as, as big of a fan of it as I am of John Scott, nobody is confusing him for being a dynamic recruiter. Did some really good things. Got Zane Duran up, uh, found his guys, got Zane Duran up, uh, got denied Dennis Sutton to sign. Um, mm -hmm. And I know everybody says that he's a McDonough and that was a, a layup or anything, but that was one that came down to Penn State, Georgia, and Alabama. Still one of James Franklin and staff's best recruiting wins. Um, so he hasn't had, um, you know, one of those he's not a, he's not a guy that's going to wow you on the recruiting trail and uh that was the conversation that was the criticism i guess you would call it uh for him in the last couple of years but yeah as you mentioned he did a really good job with portal guys uh ak was phenomenal chop robinson has been phenomenal and you continue to try and figure the figure out and he did not have success this offseason they wanted to find a defensive tackle he was not able to do that and like i said just not a dynamic personality nice guy great guy mm -hmm. um great coach i think great teacher um, and I think that that's like, I don't want to say he's an NFL coach, but like you look at his strengths, they play well to the NFL more yeah. so than the college game. And, and like I said, not a criticism of, of him at all. It's just different. Having said that, like the next guy that you bring in, you look at defensive lines uh, across the country, the, the best defensive lines, they're the best defensive lines because they went out and they recruited the top talent. I mean, this is yeah. a, this, this is not, yeah, this is kind of like UConn women's basketball. They're so good because they have the top players coming and because they've recruited those top players and they, they have put that out there. Um, and as being one of the dominant programs in, in all of sports, that's because it's the talent acquisition part of it. 
you can only get so far on talent development, taking those diamonds in the rough and, and brushing those guys up. Maybe Ty, uh, Tyreek Landing is going to be uh, a gem. Maybe he's going to be a really good player. I think he's, there's, there's a lot to like there. Um, but I don't know that you can just continuously keep pulling these guys up that are, are not borderline guys, but you know, lower rank guys and lower yeah. rated guys um, and trying to get the most out of them. And, and you've had success with it, no doubt. But is that sustainable for the long term? versus getting the top guys and i think yeah. that you would love to get a guy in that can that can do that and john um you know for all his pluses um there were there were negatives in terms of how effective a recruiter he was i i think of kaziah izzard when when you kind of lead the profile of tyreek blanding kaziah izzard comes to mind too of a guy that had tons of potential you know played defensive end in high school clearly had the body to grow into a defensive tackle but it does take time it, that that transition took him time and then uh, you might, you saw it a little bit last year. You might've seen it more if you played the full season, but he might have a breakout season this coming year. But we, you know, that is now very far into his career versus a top guy has a shorter turnaround time in terms of bringing those guys in. So then that comes back to Dion Barnes and not to put you on the spot with Barnes in particular, but is that part of the concern is regionally excellent huge relation guy with recruiting but is there would, would you have a concern of taking that and expanding it to a full footprint of you know whatever he would then be responsible for uh aside of his actual coaching duties of being a guy that can do both of those things really well recruiting and coaching i don't think so um because okay. he he's so uh well respected by the guys in philadelphia and then you spread it out he he's gone through this before you know he's he's been a prospect not too long ago um so he's had the ability to go through some of the same things you know recruiting has changed a lot a lot since he came through but he's gone through that and he's done that the thing that is crazy is you're almost flip-flopping roles completely because Dion doesn't have a resume like yeah period like and you hate to say that because he's done some great things here at Penn State but it's not like he's gone out and tested uh been a Mac coach and been a guy that's that's worked his way up through and things like that he just doesn't have that uh, on his, uh, you know, on, on his resume. So I think that's the interesting thing is how do you go in, you know, it's great to be a, a great recruiter. It's great to have the guys like you and things like that, but how do you sell your development when you've got three years of being a graduate assistant, uh, above anything else? So that, I think that's the, the hesitancy there when you're talking about Dion Barnes, I think he could do it. I think he's fully capable of doing it. Absolutely. Um, but like when you go into a living room, you better have a plan. And part of your plan when you go into a living room is here's what I've done in the past. And he really doesn't yeah. have that. So I think that that would be the worry there. Um, that would be the the apprehension from the Penn State side of things is, is kind of flipping the script 180 in terms of going from Scott, who's a fully resume guy, who's got the, these guys and develop him, not a great recruiter, to Dion, who is uh, can be a, a top level, like a really top level recruiter. Um, and he just hasn't, he, he hasn't, doesn't have the body of work on field right now. So the last question I have then is um, James Franklin has talked about this. We've touched on it. Uh, you got to be able to do both. Uh, so is this an opportunity to swing for the fences where you have this opening? Um, you're, you're late in the process, but you do have this opportunity. Do you think this is a, a time where they could find a guy, if it isn't Dion Barnes, that has both and could elevate that position and get Penn State fans where they want, which is to dominate both sides of the line of scrimmage. Phil Troutwine seems to be working his way to that part of the equation. Uh, is there an opportunity here for the defensive line to start down that path? There's an opportunity there, but I don't know if you can jump on it right away because like you there's going to be unknowns with whoever you bring in. You bring in Dion, you bring, you know, Andrew Jackson's at West Virginia, who was a graduate assistant at Penn State, and he's done some really nice things on the trail, but he's done it at West Virginia. And, you know, they haven't exactly had the uh, the, the most sparkling resume of the last couple of years. And um, if you're talking swing, swinging for the fences, everybody's going to point to Elijah Robinson. Well, what are the chances Elijah Robinson takes a, a lateral move to, uh, to, to Penn State from Texas A&M where he's getting paid a, a boatload of money? Probably slim to none so you've got uh, a lot of opportunity to swing for the fences but uh, you know you got to take a lot into it I, I think a, a real interesting wrinkle and we've talked about this on the show before is how much analysts can get involved now and that's why Dion is there to like be another coach to be a guy that's out on the field and handle some of that recruiting and things like that so how do you balance um, you know like what you can get out of Dion in an analyst role versus how much you could get out of him as an actual position coach. I think that's fascinating with the changes that are seemingly coming in this, uh, this analyst role where they're going to get on the field. They're going to be able to coach. They're going to be able, you know, legally they're going to all be able to do this. So 
does that change much? And does Dion want to stick around for that? And, you know, it's, it's really funny because for the last probably nine months, I've said, this is the opportunity that makes sense for John Scott to get out. Not necessarily that he was on the hot seat or anything like that, but his son was a senior at state high or is graduating this year is going to go to Fordham um, and play on scholarship at Fordham as a freshman next year. Um, he's got family in other parts of the country. So it kind of made sense. And, and, and if it didn't work out, Brent Pry was down at Virginia Tech. He's got those Brent Pry connections, uh, Virginia Tech. So maybe that's an opportunity to explore there. So it seemed like that was going to happen. Then, you know, talking to some people over the break, it, it seemed like that this was a situation where John was like, hey, I got I got I got a good thing going. I'm going to come back. Um, so I think that that's a very fascinating way to look at it, especially when you take into account how they were able to retain Dion, which was such a big deal. Um, not just for uh, Dion, but for the continuity in that defensive line room. As, again, well as well respected as they come. And like I said, you take a straw poll in um, in that locker room, and and Dion would have quite a few uh, quite a few votes in his uh, in his name. We'll get to something here in just one second, but I got to get to this right now because that is <laughs> here we go. Sorry about that. Uh, got a little trigger happy with the wrong button there. I'm sorry. I just I scared the crap out of Fitz just now. Yeah. So, I... I, well, your trusty internet uh, has never been the thing that I go to and as a, as a reliable source. Um, so yeah. when that went out, I was like, I'm not doing a show by myself. Sorry, buddy. That's your that's your uh, that's your domain. Oh yeah, no, I that that is something I, I'm not going to put on your plate. The problem is the button for remove and solo are right next to each other, and I have gone almost a year with this program and not done that yet. So we just we're hitting a milestone tonight. That's all. Uh, we're talking, of course, right now about RogueShop.com. I got to tell you about this because uh, promo code BWI for 25% off this week at RogueShop.com. Uh, are you new to CBD or THC? If so, go to the website and you can have a live chat. This is super helpful with Char and with Richard, who is Mr. Rogue over on the BWI message board. Um, they'll tell you all you need to know, answer all your questions, comments, concerns. When we first started working with them, I was in that boat. I had never experienced any of this stuff. I didn't know what I was doing. And I had to sit here and tell you about it. So they talked me through everything of the difference between THC and CBD and different amounts and how you're supposed to take it. And like, this is, um, this is a supplement that's supposed to help you improve your life, not necessarily just to have fun with. So if you have chronic pain, anxiety, uh, you have trouble sleeping. That's the one I've told you about plenty of times here on the show is that I have trouble not only sleeping, but staying asleep. Uh, rogueshop.com has definitely helped me with those things. And they've got some new products, which we need to get. We need to get these to try these. They have Delta nine chocolates, uh, THC and CBD drinks, vitamins, and soft gels. If you just want to take a pill and you don't want to have a drink or you don't want to have some chocolate, I, if you're on a weight loss or something, I guess. Uh, but rogueshop.com, it's until tomorrow, March 1st. So by midnight tonight, use promo code BWI for 25% off at rogueshop.com. Uh, BWI25. So you let them know you come from us and you get a little bit extra there for you um, to help you start out March. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Kari Jackson. I want to talk to you about Kari Jackson. Committed today. Generally, let's start with the big picture. Your thoughts of Penn State landing the linebacker from Michigan. What do you think of him as a prospect? Fitz, you got, you're muted there. Thank you. I was, uh, you know, sitting back here as you did your ad read and trying not to make uh, a mess of it. Uh, good prospect, a uh, guy that can play, I think, in the middle, uh, could probably play the will as well. That, that's two box guys, two two mics, if we're being honest. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a bit intriguing when you take a look at the way that Penn State has recruited linebackers over the last couple of years is, you know, they tend to stay away from those mic linebackers. Um the, the thing about him as a player, uh, he gets the ball, he gets downhill, he does a really nice job. Uh, he shed, sheds blocks. I think he's a little bit more instinctive than Anthony Specca. Uh, Specca, mm -hmm. I think, has a lot more uh, growth to go as a player in terms of getting coached up and things like that. Um, but uh, it's it's very interesting to for for them to 
uh, move this way in the middle of their defense, especially with the way that they've recruited outside linebackers um, almost exclusively over the last couple of cycles. So uh, good prospect. Um, I, I, it's it's hard for me to get excited about Mike linebackers. It's just the way that uh, Penn State <laughs> has played its defense over the last couple of years, and for yeah. them to take two of them, uh, they must they must really like him. Uh, he's a guy that's come in and has been impressive. We don't have verified numbers and stuff on him, so like a bit in the dark here about Kari Jackson. Uh, started off at West Bloomfield, went to IMG, didn't play a whole lot at IMG, came back to to West Bloomfield last year, was very productive. I think 107 tackles in seven or eight games. So um, just. He got right back into the, the thick of things. He camped for Penn State, but I believe it was after his freshman season, so really not much you can take away from that. I don't remember it at all because that was uh, 2021 in June. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's interesting to see them make that move given how we know that that, that they approach that position or those three positions, um, it, it, I guess, as a, as, a, as a program credo. I mean, it's been, it's yeah. been different to watch uh, them try to build that out. It's interesting because they they've there's so much speed now, and then when you watch a guy that's kind of a throwback and, and a traditional linebacker in terms of good against the run, um, isn't slow. You know, on film, I wouldn't say he's slow, but isn't the dynamic pop off the film wow guy. Um, the perceived weakness of this team has been up the middle. You know, we just addressed defensive tackle, John Scott Jr., all that stuff. Linebacker and Mike Linebacker has been a part of that conversation as well. Is this coincidence or is this evidence that they're trying to address that, especially against the run? I think it's coincidence, to be honest with you. Uh, you look at what they've done. They brought in Tamir Robinson last year, or excuse me, in the last class. He came in in January. I mean, that's that's a question as to whether he sticks at Mike or if he eventually transitions to the edge. Uh, depends how he bounces back from that knee injury. So maybe it's a situation where you're trying to, to look ahead at that class and and say that uh, maybe you didn't get a mic like you thought last uh, last class. You, of course, had Tony Rojas, who's uh, who can play the outs, either outside spot and Kevin on keys. You kind of feel the same way about. But uh, the middle of that defense, there is a, a bit of a hole there uh, going from Tyler Elston and Kobe King. Uh, Keon Wiley was in that mic spot last year, but he's probably a will. I think we talked about this a little bit last week or two weeks ago. Um, so there's there's questions there. So just not a whole lot of bodies there on the inside. Uh, Jackson does some nice things. I, I I will say we mentioned speed. I think Speck is pretty fast, actually. Like I yes, I seen that's a great document. point. He, he he just gets to the ball and and does a great job. Both these guys do uh, do a good job of getting to the ball. It's just I I don't I don't see a ton of elite. Uh, traits in either so that you know when, when you're talking about taking guys in february and being sure of them uh there, there's probably more questions than than usual here but uh you've got a couple of mics there but those positions are very similar mike and will so you can you can play both those guys uh you can blitz um i think i think either of these guys can blitz although kari seems to sit in the middle a little bit more um yeah. you know he's got he's got a better first step and read um than uh than than specca which like i said we've been told about specca um like as a guy that hasn't been coached yet. And I think that's great. Like that's fantastic. Um, and so once he starts doing those linebacker fundamentals and things like that, then, then you've got uh, something to work with. I see uh, Steven here compares uh, Jackson to Ellis Brooks. And that's the, that's the comparison I made last week um, yep. on the board was he, he does remind me of Ellis Brooks and how much you've got uh, how much you, you had to work with there. So uh, flank these guys and, and they'll be all right. I think they're good players. I guess the last question here about Jackson is kind of the star watching question. So just to zoom out even farther to the on 300 update, uh, two, three stars in this class. Um, I think Penn State fans are always aiming, as every other fan base is, to get into that top 10. And you've got two Mike linebackers and Cooper Cousins, who's been a part of this class for a long time concerned. You know, I hate to throw kind of a wet fish question at you like that, but like, is that a concern to you? It's February, but is that the start you would think of for Penn State? I think you nailed it in saying it's February. I mean, there's a long way to go for these guys. Uh, a lot of, I know we just came out with updated uh, rankings this week at on three, but I mean, these are very early rankings. There's a long way to go. Guys are going to fall. Guys are going to rise and things like that. So um, you look at what's out there. Penn State still has the potential to put together a really good class. I will say this, going back to our first topic with John Scott, when you're going to take seven or eight defensive linemen, that's going to take up a third of your class, maybe you know a little bit uh, less than a third of your class. Uh, that's a pretty big opportunity to make a dent. 
for the new guy. So you get some guys in here, you work the region, you try and figure out what uh, what works best for uh, for that, and then you grow outward from there, and you have an opportunity to really boost your class on the defensive line. Which, to be honest with you, after the last couple of cycles, that was a, that was a concern. Not not only talent, but numbers as well. I took a one defensive tackle last year, so I mean, you've got uh, very very big questions about how um, that was going to come together, and. I'm not going to say it's a quick fix because you're not bringing in guys in the class of 2024 that are going to have a big impact on your defensive line rotation in 2024. It's going to be an opportunity to rebuild that. And when a new guy comes in, they get a little bit more grace. They get a little bit more uh, flexibility with the numbers. And maybe you end up with nine defensive, you know, nine or so defensive linemen in this class. Oh, that's a lot of defensive linemen, especially I know that uh, defensive tackle was light, but three defensive ends last year, too. So, yeah. I mean, in two years, especially if you're at the edge, that's stacking a lot of players. You can make it. You can make a big diff. You can make a big difference there as well. And uh, they have a. This is, I guess, the the continuation of, of the linebacker discussion. Of they've brought in so many good athletes at linebacker, at defensive end specifically. They've got a high standard right now of athlete at defensive end. Um, <laughs> can they keep that up? This is another kind of open ended. I can't get you to answer that right now can they keep that up but that seems to be a thing that you would want to keep going and uh this whole disruption here with john scott jr leaving and and trying to fill that with this next this next coach it seems like it's very important as well to keep that standard at defensive end specifically that you've you've started it already Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've done a nice job, not only with the recruiting aspect of it, but with the portal end of it. You know, you've got to, you've got that down on paper. You can go out and sell an edge prospect. Not that, uh, you know, I think the, the priority would be defensive tackle in, turn of, in terms of adding a, an experienced player. Um, but still, you've you've done a really nice job at that. And you, you've got uh, Derek Tangelo on your resume there as well, uh, defensive tackle. So I think that'll carry over as a program wide thing more so than a John Scott thing. So I think mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's a huge deal. Um where you get into the muck here is you've got big numbers in certain classes. And then when those big numbers move on, you're all of a sudden left with a hole. You've got the portal to help you, but that's not going to be able to fix everything. So I think that that's what you look at when you take a look at the scholarship roster. You mentioned three defensive ends coming in last year, one defensive tackle. Uh, that's fine. You can you can do that, um, but you're going to have to balance yourself out eventually. And, uh, you know, when you take one defensive tackle last year, you're, you're aiming to take three or four this year. And, and that's a really, really tough position to recruit, a position that you haven't recruited overly well um, from a uh, from a top level talent standpoint because it's such a hard position to recruit so i think that's where you that's where you get into it when you're talking about this transition from john scott and like i said uh not the most dynamic guy out there in terms of recruiting so you know maybe this is an opportunity for you to open some things up there uh fits so full disclosure a little bit of behind the scenes stuff fits was off yesterday and i haven't had a chance to talk through some of these things uh on the second half of the show so uh, i wanted to get his thoughts on all the stuff here uh you're welcome to stick around I i'm not kicking you out by any means but i know that you and i haven't prepped this second half of the show i'm getting into something that i wrote earlier this week offensive players and defensive players that have the ability to be superstars and uh guys that can take the next step this fall you you want to stick around and talk about that or do you need to get going hey i'm here i'm here my kids are downstairs i think the i think the wife is still here but uh yeah they uh they, they've got uh they've got devices as, as horrible as i sound for saying that they're that, that's their podcast time is they always love it when i'm on a podcast in their home because they get to uh they get to do their screens and they don't have to, don't have the time limit on it that's that's well you know it's a tool right and i would never ever judge a parent i clearly i i can't even handle the cats sometimes i just feed them and then shove them out the door make sure they don't bother me these uh, are humans so, i can't do that but uh we we do our best here um yeah, yeah that's uh, that's where we're at uh, so if you want to check out the full article, bluewhiteillustrated.com, sign up right now, $29.99 to get inside access and plus content. So any of my analysis that uh, gets into some of the X's and O's and some of my evaluations of guys off of film, that all is behind the paywall. Sign up now and you get all that stuff. Uh, this is not the full list. These are the guys, I, I kind of broke it out by anyone on the roster that I had thought had the physical tools to be a superstar. These are the guys I've zeroed in on that I think can take the next step this, this coming year. So if you want the full list and why I think Penn State fans should be so excited about the offense, you can check that out there. Uh, but I want to start with this guy, uh, Fitz, Malik McClain. 
And, uh, you know, with all due respect to Harrison Wallace and Keandre Lambert-Smith, who have dynamic traits, the, the, the video going viral of Harrison Wallace jumping like nine feet in the air, uh, circulating on Twitter and on Instagram right now, Keandre Lambert-Smith, great overall athlete, but neither of them are 6'4 and have the ability. And this is a little bit of a makeup for me, I think, where last season I loved Chop Robinson. I loved his tape coming out of high school. I loved what he did in just brief moments at Maryland. And then we got into camp and I got, you know, some observations in some small windows and I made the mistake of hedging my bets. I don't want to do that with McLean because the physical tools of what I saw of him in those flashes at Florida State, that is a, an elite receiver that can run like that, can make cuts like that, and he just has to have the opportunity and put it all together. Um, I guess from, from that perspective, do you have another guy in the receiver room, or what do you think of McLean? Well, I mean, Dante, Dante Cephas is not here yet, but uh, McLean, I think, is that guy. I, I don't want to – boom or bust has a negative connotation to it, um, mm -hmm. but, like, he could be top level. Like, he's got uh, – he tested in the low 4.4s for Penn State – um, you don't see that for a six foot four inch guy, you know, it probably has to get a little thicker and we don't know if he can catch the ball. Like that's the thing. Like he's got some <laughs> yeah. tape, does a nice job with that. Um, uh, but when you get into it and you play at a different, uh, different atmosphere, like Penn state, you know, you gotta be able to catch the ball. Like I said before, uh, there's a lot of similarities physically to Malik mega because they are the same size. They both run really well. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot to like mega hasn't been able to catch the ball consistently. Can McLean catch the ball consistently? We don't know that yet, but if he does, yeah, there's there's a big opportunity. Um, I'll, I'll keep stumping for Keandre Lambert-Smith. I think there's a lot to like there uh, from an all-around perspective, and you can move him inside out and do some some really nice things. Uh, you know, we tend to forget about his athletic traits because yeah. uh, you know I, it's it's so tough for some of those to to show up in the role the roles that they were asking him to play. But uh, not too many quicker players have come through Penn State. I mean, he's, his short area quickness is is phenomenal, which is why I'm looking forward to seeing him in the slot. So. Um, those are a couple of guys there. I'm excited to see Cephas. Um, they, they seem to be uh, very intrigued with him as a guy that can take the top off of defense. Of course, he's got some numbers to back that up. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. So like the receiver room as a whole, you know, athletic potential, like crazy, you know, as you yeah. expect, it's, it's a receiver room. Uh, you saw the thing with Trey Wallace today and, you know, you get those top four or five guys, you got some really good athletes in there. Can they catch the ball consistently? Can they run the right routes consistently and things like that? That's where it comes in. And that's where I'm hesitant to, uh, you know, as you, as you mentioned, hedging your bets on Chop Robinson last year. That's where I'm hesitant to move forward with some of these guys, just because we haven't seen it in a full-time yeah. uh, capacity yet. Yeah. And those, those dudes that can run, get me, man. Like, that's the thing is like, uh, McLean can run and he looks so good doing it. And when, when I see a guy that doesn't have any inherent physical flaws, I do, I get really excited because I assume that the coaching and everything else will take over and it'll just click, right? Like it's just going to work because how could it not? And when that's, that's when I get to be a little bit like, um, over my skis with excitement with, with guys is when I don't see an inherent physical flaw in somebody's profile. And when you're six, four, it tends to make up for if there are minor ones elsewhere. But I think you make a really good point too, with Keandre Lambert Smith, he's not a small dude. Like six, one is not a small receiver either from a, you know, a frame perspective. Um, I'm going to go on and I'm going to get my next offensive, uh, my next offensive guy. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll filibuster here a little bit. If you want to pick somebody else, or we can go with a different offensive lineman. Cause we're going with Vega. You want I, I know that I'm not alone here um, because of <laughs> watching James Franklin get excited about Vega Ioane, uh last summer and during his recruitment. This dude, talk about not having too many physical flaws in his profile. He's big. He's quick. He's got great movement skills. He's got, you know, I, I don't know that his hand fighting is elite or anything, but all of those things that there are few barriers between him and those things. And then you look at kind of his profile of a guy who came in and, and went to work and some of the stuff you guys were talking about last year. Um, and what James Franklin mentioned of, we would have played him, but we wanted to save his red shirt, all of that stuff. And the opportunity at guard where I don't think there's really anything settled yet. You can do better than what you had last year. Given the injuries, there is still an opportunity for Malik McLean at receiver. That's kind of open. Vega, you want to, I think, has the opportunity, if he puts himself out there, to be in at least a rotation 
And then when he's out there, that physical strength is going to take over at some point. And it's hard to be a superstar at guard, but he's got the power to be a superstar, Fitz. Like, I, I, there are a few guys that have come through here that have that size and movement skill um, that to match what he has. D- do you see it the same way, or am I missing something in that profile? Do you have somebody else you want to mention? No, nah, he's been a guy I've been propping up for a long time just because not only is he so big, but he, he's he got development left ahead of him, and that's what's so exciting about Vegione is he's got – uh, this this ridiculous like it's a different type of size like there are big guys on that offensive line Vega is a different shape he is big and square um, he's just uh, he's what you love uh, Penn State doesn't get many Polynesian guys and you know you, you see the difference here like there yeah. is a difference we saw like when I when I went out to the uh, the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago with USC their big Polynesian guys were like they earned that reputation for being yep big square tough like guys and and you know you don't see that on the east coast very much this is not a penn state thing you just don't see it on the east coast very much so he's every bit of that so i'm really excited to see it i also think that he's got the ability to help you out at center um which you know that's a that's a really big center that's a really big center piece to your line <laughs> but it gives you the versatility not only with with him playing center but sal wormley can play center so you can slide him over put vega into the game so you just continue to have more and more options on that interior offensive line because at the other position you've got tang wall and jb nelson so if you're feeling good about five guys you're feeling pretty good about the interior of that offensive line and not have to worry about moving those guys out and playing tackle because you feel pretty decent i mean here we are in in february of of 2023 talking about how we feel decent about the penn state offensive line and i think that's that's we've come a long way we've come a long way um, and I, but it's earned too. Like the, these these players and the depth. Then that's one of the things that I think we've I've been trying to harp on the most. As you mentioned, you feel good about five guys in the interior. Injuries are going to happen. Guys are not going to hit the top of their potential. But now, if one of them does, like you're good. You you have more. You have more cards on the table. You have more. You have more chips down on the table. And with with Vega, I just th- there's this opportunity there with competition to raise everybody's profile. Even if he's not the guy, if he pushes the guy that starts, that's also a reason to be optimistic about the offensive line. And on top of that, if you have five guys, you're feeling good about the development behind them because now you don't have to force Anthony Donka to play yep. at, at right guard as a true freshman. Not that he was going to, but you give him a chance to develop at a pace that's more appropriate for a true freshman and that's going to help everybody that's going to help the guys that are playing that's going to help the guys that are developing and uh i think that that's what's exciting there we had some notes with uh with Donka uh earlier this week so check that out um the guy that i'm going to go to here is drew shelton um you know he's yeah. he's a guy that's got a different kind of build but the, an athletic kind of build and he came in ready maybe not ready to go as a starter and maybe not ready to go as a true freshman that you could throw out there and um feel like confident in him overwhelming somebody but he was more than competent uh more than capable uh what they asked of him as a true freshman and now all of a sudden going into your sophomore year or that year between your freshman and sophomore year that's so important for for every prospect that comes through for every player that comes through here He's got a chance to put weight on. He's got a chance to get stronger. He's got a chance to get, uh, you know, his agility and catch back up to to where his body is from that weight that he puts on. So such a vital offseason for him and for hit for him to be a true sophomore and have development and have time on the eligibility clock uh, left. I mean, that's so huge for Drew Shelton. He's going to have the opportunity to push for a starting job this year and then following year. I think it's kind of, you know assume that he's going to be the left tackle after uh, Olu leaves. So uh, there's a lot to like there with Drew Shelton. I think he is a superstar high draft pick type guy. And we haven't even mentioned the other two that were on my article earlier this week. So there's, again, so many reasons to be optimistic about the Penn State offensive line. And I think this is a perfect transition for you and I, Fitz, going over to the defensive side of the ball as we uh, look at some other players. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Zaki Wheatley when he can do, and I know you're a fan of KJ Winston. I put them together because these guys could be a dynamic duo at safety for Penn State, um, given the right opportunity and the right development for each guy in complementary areas too. I think they 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 seem to fit together really well on a depth chart. Yeah, I was actually thinking of that earlier this week. Was talking to some people in the program, and they pointed out two of these guys actually, or both of these guys actually, and and you don't always have the luxury of having complementary players there you try you know with a traditional free safety strong safety you try to match those guys and make it work 
sometimes it just happens. And I think uh, Zaki Wheatley has the ability to patrol center field and uh, KJ Winston has the ability to, to hurt you. Like <laughs> that's, some, that's a combination that you really like. So I'm really looking forward to seeing these guys. Uh, it's no secret. I've been a really, really big fan of KJ Winston for a long time. Zaki, I was kind of, kind of on the fence because that was during COVID and you weren't sure, like he went from, yeah. Uh, a sophomore prospect to a, a college freshman just in no time with no film to, to go with that. So you knew about the ball skills, you knew about the length, you knew about all these little intangibles that he had. It's just a long time without playing. And then all of a sudden he comes back and he finds the football. And that's kind of the joke that we've, we've made with him for a long time is that he can just find the football. And, and it's true. Like he just pops up around the football. It's, it's, it's innate and it's really cool to watch. And these two guys, um, even if they're not the starters in it right now, not penciling the either in as a starter because you've got Jalen Reed coming back and Keaton Ellis coming back, but these guys are going to, they're going to be a factor. I think sooner rather than later, Penn state, uh, Anthony Poindexter likes to rotate those guys through. Um, so I think we see a bunch of both of these guys and I'm excited to see their progress because like probably more than anybody on the defense, just because of the ceilings that I've put in my head for how good I think the, both these guys can be. Yeah, a hundred percent agree on that. And the the areas where I think in the past Penn State has kind of mixed and matched at safety. I was going back and looking at Tig Brown's film and watching how he played both positions last year, and they kind of mixed and matched with him. They have the opportunity because both have a good frame that both guys can play in the box. And I think uh, Winston is fast enough to be a deep safety and to maybe not be your, your standard free safety all the time. But if you want to roll coverage, you know, he's got great vision. He's super smart. I loved his junior film. And then I saw him get a little bit faster and a little bit smarter and a little bit more aware his senior season. So both these guys, I think, can have the potential to operate at multiple levels of the defense, which is why I think both can be not just complimentary, but superstars that can play at multiple levels. Zaki has a six foot two frame. And while I don't think you're going to pack on 215 pounds on his frame, he can play co closer to 200. He can get a little bit stronger. And, you know, we've seen him force fumbles and make those plays. Can he be a consistent fill a gap sort of guy? There's some potential there. And the same on the flip side that I just mentioned with Winston. So with both those guys that I love a defense where you don't know what's going to happen. Because your, your safeties are so interchangeable that it makes it hard for me watching on Sunday, let alone the quarterback, when he has to drop back and read what happened post-snap. And I think these guys have the opportunity to do that. And then on third down, all bets are off with Manny Diaz and what he can do with these guys. Right. And and interchangeable is the right word because you can put either of these guys at either spot. And I think they have enough strength, um, uh, enough of their strengths to to make it work in either spot. So Excited to see how that comes into play. I think you see, um, excuse me, Jalen Reed is a little bit more of the enforcer. Uh, Keaton Ellis is a little bit more of the free guy. But uh, these guys, I think they both can can go in there and replace either one of those guys. And and you feel pretty decent about how they're, they're coming. Need more experience for both of them? Absolutely. Um, but that's part of college football. That's part of how you uh, sort of cycle these guys in and out. And there's plenty of time for them left to uh, to make that work. So both these guys, very excited about their development. I have one guy left uh, before we get to that. Steven is back. Steven, a regular here on the show, says, thanks for staying on top of all the late breaking news. Super job this week. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I, you know, we we work as a team here and there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I, I love working with these guys. And if you want the full force of it, like Steven gets, bluewhiteillustrated.com, get the inside information as well. Shane is super psyched up by our conversation earlier. This guard competition is going to be awesome. I love that this show has gotten the Penn State fan base to be excited about guard competitions in February. That was the goal of this show is to raise, raise the standard for what we're doing here and nerding out about football. Well, we spent three uh, weeks talking about the third tight end job, so we had to move on to something more, <laughs> in, in, a little bit more spicy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and speaking of spicy, I don't know that this is a surprise where we're going to end for a lot of people here in our, uh, at least in my superstars, and that would be guy that could take the, the leap, deny Dennis Sutton. Surprise, the five-star could be a superstar. Um, and I, I've been fascinated with deny for the entire time during his his journey to being this guy from a defensive tackle that um, kind of looked like he was a little bit lost on the field to a guy that you watch figure it out 
in real time, learn how to use his hands, that McDonough education, they, the defensive line there is real. Like they do a really good job of prepping these guys for the next level. And then his story about how COVID happened and he changed his body type and he became what he is. Just that whole journey has been fascinating. And the last part he talked about, and it's something that it's been number one of, this is the only thing I want him really to work on. And he mentioned it himself uh, two weeks ago when we got to meet him for the first time officially uh, during the, the first-year player availability. Just learn the game, learn the technique, staying low. You know, coming out of my stance, that was a big thing I had this past season was me being a taller guy. I would naturally start to rise up coming out of my stance. So just coming out of the shoot every day, striking the bag. Um, and, yeah, that, if, that, if it was one thing, I would say that. But just all around, I have to work on everything. So, of course, he's very humble dude, very self-aware. But at times you see it on film where he stands up and the ball goes this way and he just doesn't have that athletic stance to then change direction. He fixed that and he's got the length, the power, the strength. I, I, he could be a guy that forces his way into the top three rotation next year. And I don't. that's not a surprise. No, it's tough when you're a freshman that has had as much uh, success as him and is tall as him. Like... Your first instinct is to stand up, find the ball, go find, go, go get the ball because yeah. that's what you that's what you're good at, and, and you don't have the guy in front of you ne necessarily challenging you as much. Um, so he kind of got away from that, uh, kind of got up and uh, sorry, I got my hands a little low here. Kind of got up and stood up and and tried to make it work during college, and it didn't really work for him. So I think that that is a coaching point that uh, John Scott, Deion Barnes have hammered home for him because it was, it was something that, that showed up in his high school tape and his college tape. And that's uh, it's, it's correctable. It's, it's something that you have to work into your brain. First of all, first of all, and then once you get that done, you have the ability. I don't think there's any questioning that he has the ability to get this done. Um, he's a phenomenal physical talent, uh, smart kid. He's got uh, a lot, a lot of things going for him and the, uh, yeah, the ability to uh, to turn that into or to turn himself into an NFL player, I think, is uh, is certainly still there. Um, he's got some some leverage things to work with, but that's that's all part yeah. of being a, a freshman. And like I said, with Drew Shelton, these couple of months between his freshman year and his sophomore year of paramount importance. You don't need him to go in and be a starter to start the season next year. So get comfortable and make yourself uh, sort of move on the heels of Adisa Isaac or move on the heels of the guy in front of you. And I think he has the, all the ability to do that. Uh, so I picked the low hanging fruit here. Do you have a guy that you want to close us out with? I mean, I'd say Abdul Carter, but the, the, that's the lowest of the fruits. Um, yeah. Again, still improvement to be made. And I think that's number one, very scary for, for uh, opposing offenses because uh, you know, he's got a lot to work on. And number two, like, He's so naturally talented and athletic and he's got all these checks, all these boxes. And the, to think that he can be better um, is uh, it, it's something to uh, to take into account because Manny Diaz can unleash him now. Like this is a situation uh, before where you were trying not to throw too much at him, give him that offseason, give him that opportunity to get in there. And I will hammer hammer this home until the start of next season. He has a lot of things that he needs to work on to become a more complete linebacker. But I'm confident that he has the ability to do so. And when he does that, I'm going to be first in line to watch because I'm I'm so excited to see him. Penn State put put out some highlights earlier today. Uh, he just moves to the ball like uh, it's it's you can't really explain it. It's, it's so fun to watch and it's so great to see them try and stack guys at different levels of this defense. And cause you can, you know, you can make your secondary better with Abdul Carter playing linebacker. You can make yeah. your defensive line better with Abdul Carter playing linebacker. I'm just really excited to see this entire defense get better as he gets better as well. Having all that talent come together at the same time uh, too. Like if, if a couple of these guys we just talked about, if they hit, Special things can happen for the defense, and that is one of the reasons why I think fans are rightly optimistic about 2023. Fitz, thanks so much for coming on the show today. This was a ton of fun. Yeah, I'm glad my laptop finally uh, cooperated with me. I don't know how much you told them, but uh, I got up here a little bit before 7. I hit the the power button. It was like, nope, you're not doing that, and that uh, did not work out well for me. So I'm glad I got it squared away. Glad we got a chance to talk about that. And like I said, uh, earlier in the show, uh, hats off to John Scott. Congratulations on the new job. I'm um, excited to see where Penn State goes from here, especially from a recruiting standpoint. You can follow that all on bluewhiteillustrated.com. Hey, he said it. That's all we need to say. BlueWhiteIllustrated.com is where it is. Coming up tomorrow, more from the BWI Daily. We'll talk to you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. 
Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York. 